Well, we are thankful, Lord, that you are Lord, that you are God, that you are our Father. We, we start there. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. You are above us. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases, Psalm 115 says. His throne is in the heavens. And his sovereignty rules over all, Psalm 103 says. We thank you that not only are you above, but you are above all things, above all nations, above all people, above all the plans of men made in back rooms, among all the bribes, among all the payoffs, among all the sin and deceit, among all the injustice, you are above it. You have a plan for the ages that can never be thwarted. Your purposes can never be defeated, ever. We need to be reminded of that because there are so many times when it looks like that is precisely what is being done. Your purposes are being defeated. It, it seems at times like the world is being run by those who are contrary to you and their will is being achieved. But that's not so. You're in charge. You are God. You, you ask us in Isaiah 40 to take things which we are great and to compare them to your greatness. And you invite us to take great nations with all their power and all their armies and compare them to you. And you say that they are void and they are meaningless. You invite us to take uh, the great rulers of the world whose names are on the front pages of every newspaper on the globe, and you invite us to compare them to you, and you say that they, too, are meaningless and void. You have a plan. We don't, uh, we don't usually get it. We're kind of baffled by how you work. But that shouldn't surprise us because you don't do things the way we think that they ought to be done. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. But you are at work. You work mysteriously. You, you work in ways that we cannot fathom, but you work. You work providentially in all events. The sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without your being aware of it. You know all things. The devil is not in the details. You're in the details. There is a providential, invisible hand that runs the world. Ephesians 1.11 says that 
you work all things after the counsel of your will. Not some things, not most things, not a few things. You work all things after the counsel of your will. Now, just pondering that for a few minutes helps us. It calms us down. It steadies our hearts. Because if we spend much time listening to the radio or reading the... Uh, the papers or the websites, we get the opposite impression. It's good to be still and to know that you are God. What a great prescription that is for the heart and for the soul and for the mind. Thank you that you have not hidden yourself from us, but that you have revealed yourself to us in your Son, Jesus Christ was the living word and in your Bible, which is the written word. We are grateful that we have access to it. We are grateful that we are free to study it. As we do so tonight, I pray for each one of us that you would give us hearts that are quick to listen and then quick to obey. That's what it's all about. There, there, there's, there's no reason to listen if we're not going to incline our ear to what you would have us to do. That, that makes no sense. We're, we are not just to be hearers, we're to be doers. But that's how you lead us. And when we see you leading us, it's the greatest thing in all the world. It brings great joy to our hearts. Because you're involved in our lives. And it gives us hope. And it gives us security. So, Lord, tonight, here we are. We're back. Teach us again for what we're going to face this week. We don't have a clue what's coming. We don't need to know. We just need to know you and that you're in charge and that we belong to you and that our eye is upon you because we are in Christ. Among all the men on the earth, we are the most blessed because we say that Jesus is our Savior. We say that he is God. We say that he is the Lord. We say that he is our Master. We pray these things in his name. Amen. We've been doing a study of David and David's life. We've been in this study since 1948. <clears throat> We've been in it a long time. I, I think we're winding it down tonight. But then again, I thought we we're going to wind it down right around Thanksgiving and we're still in it. But I think this is it. We're going to, you guys just came in. Uh, we are off next Wednesday for spring break. Then we come back and we go until the end of, uh, we go right till the end of April, I think. I got the email, but I didn't read it. But it's to the end of April. So we got another, what, six, seven weeks, but not next week, all right? Just so you know. Uh, we have been looking at David and his life. We've been looking at David and his issues, David and his fear, David and his, you know, his need for guidance, David and his heart, all kinds of stuff. Uh, David was an unusual leader. He was an unusually gifted leader. He had a unique place in the history of Israel. Um, but David's life was sort of like our life because it had a beginning, it had a middle, and it had an end. And God was leading him the whole way. Uh, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time, and we thank God for that. The second best-selling book of all time was written by John Bunyan. It's a book called Pilgrim's Progress. If you've never read it, you should read it. Uh, 
John Bunyan was a soldier. He was, um, he was a mocker of Christianity. Back during the years when preachers uh, who preached the gospel were not allowed in the churches in England, and they would get up on tree stumps, uh, his favorite uh, recreational activity was throwing rotten fruit at men who were preaching the word of God. And then, interestingly enough, one of those preachers was quoting scripture and it grabbed him. And God began to work in his heart. And he began to come under great conviction and came to know Christ. And uh, he was what was called a, a tinker. He, he would uh, travel from village to village uh, selling pots and pans and repairing pots and pans. That's what he did. He was just a blue-collar guy. Uh, turns out he had a tremendous gift with words. He could preach. And he started getting up on tree stumps. And he started preaching. And he was causing such havoc in that so many people were coming to Christ that uh, he was thrown in jail. And he was, uh, he, this was, it was very interesting because he was told that uh, the duration of his sentence was up to him. He could get out whenever he wanted. It was his choice. The day that he was willing to say, I will no longer preach the gospel, was the day that they would release him from prison. Uh, he was in there uh, 12 years, the first go-around. And it was very hard on him because he, he, he had a young wife, he had children, he had a little girl named Mary who was born blind. Uh, his family was basically destitute without him. It was all they could do to get, I mean, they were literally praying, give us this day our daily bread. And trusting God every day to provide for them. They would come and visit him. And he said when they would leave and his little blind daughter would leave, it was like somebody pulling the marrow out of his bones. That's how painful it was for him. Interestingly enough, they gave him um, a cell that uh, it contained, it was twofold. They gave him a night cell and a day cell, and they were joined together. The night cell was, had a bed, and there was a door that would lock. But then there was an outer cell, and they called that the day cell. And that, uh, that night, he would be in bed, the door would be locked. But in the morning, they would open up that door. He could come to the outer cell, which contained a table and uh, pen and paper. He couldn't preach, so he decided to write. And, uh, you know, uh, they always try to shut down the gospel, and they just can't quite ever do it. They used to say of the Christian martyrs that the blood of the martyrs, why would they kill Christians trying to stamp out Christianity? Yeah, they used to say the blood of the martyrs is seed. You, you, you kill a Christian, and you're going to spread the gospel. That's how it works historically. They tried to shut John Bunyan up, put him in a cell, but they made a big mistake in giving him that day cell. And they made a big mistake in giving him that paper and giving him that pen or that quill and that ink because he began to write. And he wrote a book called Pilgrim's Progress. I'm telling you, you can walk over to Barnes & Noble and it'll be there on the shelf. How many years later? Close to 400 years later. Second best-selling book in the history of the world. Pilgrim's Progress 
is an allegory. It's about a man named Christian who is on a path. He's walking through life, just like you are and just like I am. And it's a story of this man, Christian, who is on his way to the heavenly city. That's what our lives are about. Uh, it, it's, it's not all here on earth. There's a place called heaven. This isn't it. As much as we try to make it heaven on earth, as much as you might be promised on heaven on earth, this isn't it. But there's a place called heaven. This is short. This is brief. This is just a vapor. That is forever and ever and ever. And you don't need to worry about getting bored. You don't need to worry about the cloud and harp thing. That's not going to happen. You say, well, what is going to happen? We don't know. Because we couldn't absorb it if he told us. We just couldn't take it in. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. It's going to be good. It's going to be real good. You won't be bored. Um, he's got you covered. Isn't that good to know? This is kind of a test run. That's why John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Because on this journey that we're on, you know, the metaphor of, um, the metaphor of a path, the metaphor of a road, the metaphor of a trail is used throughout the scripture. Just think for a minute, the word trail. Think how many verses you guys, just think how many verses there are in scripture that speak of the trail. Can you think of any? I can't think of one. You were getting kind of nervous there, weren't you? I've never seen the word trail in the Bible, but have you seen the word path? Oh, it's everywhere. What's a path? It's a trail. Just a synonym for the same thing. What, what, how about uh, way? W-A-Y. What, what, what's, a, what's a way? It's a path. It's a trail. How, how, about, uh, how about road? Well, that's just a way. It's a path that's been worked on a little bit. And Jesus said, broad is the road, broad is the road, broad is the trail, broad is the path, broad is the way. Broad is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few are those who find it. So John Bunyan wrote this book, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, for those who are on the path, those who are on the way, those who are uh, on the path of following the Lord and making their way to the celestial city. Now, when he starts off, he doesn't know the Lord. But there's an event that occurs in his life, and it's all in the book. You can read Pilgrim's Progress in modern English. Crossway is a new, uh, a, 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 a new edition with some beautiful artwork. It's really good. I just got it a few months ago. But that's the whole, that's the whole message of, of Pilgrim's Progress. You know, as we've been looking at David, uh, probably David's most famous psalm is Psalm 23. And in Psalm 23... David says in verse, um, what is it, verse 3? I guess I could look at it, couldn't I? Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me in paths of righteousness. No, he leads me beside still water. He restores my soul. No, I missed one. Why don't I look it up? So I told you my hearing's going, the memory's going. That's not good. I should know that without any problem. But 
Oh, no, I missed, uh, hey, let me do this. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's verse 3. That's what I was after. I still got it. I just had to find it. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. You got some drool there, Ron, coming right down there. You need to yeah, You're good. Did you catch that in verse 3 of 23? He leads me in paths of righteousness. He leads me in trails of righteousness. He leads me in the way of righteousness. Or he leads me in the road of righteousness. There is a road. There is a trail. There is a path. You're on it and I'm on it. Some of us are further along than others. If you're a young guy in your 20s, you're just getting going. You're just getting warmed up. If you're in your 30s, uh, you might now have a wife and several kids, and at night you don't understand why you have pains in your chest. That's called responsibility. And it's called pressure, and it's called stress, and you're not sure if you'll make it. You'll make it. The rest of us have made it. You'll make it. Uh, you'll get old quick, but you'll make it. It's part of life. Then you hit 40, then you hit midlife, and you go through different things, and you're trying to figure out life. And you'll get through that, too. Because he'll lead you in your 50s and 60s and 70s. And you get into your 80s, your 90s. Maybe. Yeah. Anybody here in their 70s tonight? You raise your hand if you can get them up. <laughs> it was a little 70s joke, guys. It, it, it's a rotator cuff joke. No, we got a lot of guys here in good shape in their 70s. Anybody in their 80s? We got anybody in there? Yeah, I see a gentleman back here. I'm glad you're here. Anybody in their 90s? You can't raise his hand. <laughs> yeah, he can't get his hand over his shoulder. That's okay. Where are the guys in their 90s? Where are the guys in, anybody 100? Where are those guys? They're dead. Sorry to bring it up. But see, that's where we're going. But see, on the trail of life, if you have met Jesus Christ, to die is promotion. You don't go out of existence. Paul said, I'm hard-pressed whether to stick around with you guys and minister. I'd much rather go on and be with the Lord. Death is promotion if you know Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay. So we're walking this trail. You might be at the beginning, you might be at the middle. You might be pushing 70, 80, 90. What did uh, 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 Moses say in Psalm 90? Uh, as for the days of our lives, they can, uh, Moses wrote Psalm 90. He didn't write, you know, we think David's Psalms, but that one was Moses. As for the days of our lives, they contain 70, or if due to strength, 80. But soon it is gone and we fly away. 70, 80 years. Okay? That's kind of a normal lifespan. You might go a little longer, you might go a little less, but that's kind of chalking it out on a board. And then he says this, uh, as for the days of our lives, they contain 70 or due to strength 80 years, for as soon as it's gone, we fly away. Then he jump a verse and he says, so teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. If you've got a limited amount of time on the earth and you're following Christ, by the way, uh, how much more time do you have on the earth? There's a shop where I get my hair cut. And this gal cuts my hair. I went in there before Christmas. And there's always a guy next to her in a chair. 
and there's a guy across the um, aisle, and then there's a gal over there. And I walk in, and I, I, I just walk in and get my hair cut, you know. And, uh, but there, the guy over here, uh, and, I, and I got his name a couple times, it was not like we had a lot of interaction, but that particular guy, um, he's always there, and he was a funny guy, kind of a country guy, you, you know, he, he always had a couple jokes for whoever was in his chair. And I heard him one time say that he went to Denton Bible Church, and we had just a very brief conversation. He gave me his name, but I forgot his name. It's what I do these days. Um, actually, I couldn't hear his name. <laughs> that seems to be our theme tonight. Anyway, but I, you know, hey, how you doing? I go in there, you know, hey, you know everybody. Well, I walk in before Christmas, get my hair cut, and about halfway through the haircut, I said, hey, where's? Uh, and I looked up and I could see his name on his license. I said, where's, and it got real quiet. And the guy, the barber over there and the girl over there, they kind of looked and they kind of, I knew I'd said something wrong. And the guy behind me said, well, he, he died. I said, he died. She said, yeah. I said, he died. I said, how old was he? She said, 48. I said, what happened? Well, it appears that he got out of the shower and slipped on the tile floor and hit his head and died. How much time do you have? Well, you don't know. You don't know, do you? And neither do I. But we have some time. The time that we have... That, that is a brilliant statement in Psalm 90, verse 12, where Moses says, because we have 70, or if due to strength, 80 years, and because it goes by so fast, um, give us a heart of wisdom. In other words, because I've got a brief time on the earth, help me to live wisely. Because I have a brief time on the earth, help me to make the most of my time. Uh, help me not to waste my time. The, the, the time, and, and you govern my time because you're God. Uh, we looked at that last week. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me. So, so God has your moment of conception set, your moment of birth, and your moment of death. It's appointed for a man who wants to die. We don't know when that appointment with death is, but it's there and it's fixed, and you can't change it. So up until then... I want to live, and I want to live with productivity. I want to live wisely. I want to live carefully, because this is over quickly. In light of that, in light of the fact that we're on a journey, David was on a journey, but David got old, David got decrepit, David, uh, his body broke down. He couldn't get warm no matter what he did. Circulation broke down, whatever was going on with him, and then he died. Well, that's where we're going. He was on a path. We're on a path. In Pilgrim's Progress, he'll talk about the dangers on the path for Christians. He'll talk about the temptations. My gosh, the Bible talks about that. I have said often that I think the Christian life, 
I, I think especially for men, there are two things we are constantly doing as we're on the path of life. For Christian men, we are constantly fighting off fear. Constantly. That's why you read everywhere in the Bible. How many times do you read in the Bible, fear not? Why is that? Fear not. Do not be afraid. Is that Isaiah 41? Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look around, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Uh, I will help you. I will uphold you with my mighty right hand. All the way in Scripture, so don't fear, don't fear, don't fear. Why? Because there are things to fear. As we're on the road of life, as we're on the journey of life, there are things that threaten to undo us. There are things that threaten to, to hurt us and to harm us and those whom we love. So we're trying, to, we're trying to make it, we're trying to provide, but there are threats to that. We, we want to keep our health, we want to keep our family intact. Do not fear. Yeah, but there are enemies and there are spiritual forces. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. So, so much of the Christian life is fighting off fear. And conversely, when you fight off fear, how do you fight off fear? By walking in faith. Trusting that God will be faithful to you. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For those who come to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. When you walk by faith, how do you walk by faith? You walk by faith, you walk by faith by believing that God will do what he has said he will do. I mean, that's pretty much it. When you walk by faith, you believe that God will be faithful to you even if you haven't been faithful to him, and none of us have been faithful to him. We're not faithful. He is faithful. That's how you walk. That's how you, that's how you walk through life until the moment you're promoted to be with Christ. You're fighting off fear by walking in faith. Now, as you are on this road, and it's not a broad road, it's a narrow road. Remember what Jesus said? Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate that leads to life. Few are those who find it. It's not a popular road. Most people aren't on it. If you're, if you're on that narrow path, you're in the, you are in the minority. You are not part of the moral majority. The, the majority has never been moral. It should be the immoral majority. If you're following Christ... Christianity is not, is not being moral to be saved. Christianity is trusting in, in Christ alone. That's Christianity. You're doing that. You're on the road. There aren't a lot of people on the road with you. It's not real popular. But there are dangers and there are threats because we have an enemy. And he is going to try to... Uh, he's going to try and neutralize you. He's going to try and intimidate you. He's going to try to paralyze you by fear. He is going to try to guilt you, to overwhelm you with guilt because of your sin and because of your failures. He is the accuser of the brethren. This is how it's going to be. As we, it's a war. Pretty much a war zone. And once again, I'm just here to encourage you. But isn't this what it is? Yeah, absolutely. The name of the game is to stay on the path. The name of the game is to stay on the road. The name of the game is to stay on the trail, even though it's treacherous. Here's what I want to do tonight as we wrap this up. What was it that was said in Psalm 90? Because we have a limited lifespan, so teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. 
Um, I believe that on the path of life leading to heaven, God has set up guardrails. Guardrails to protect us. Guardrails that let us know that danger is on that side. Uh, Guardrails, when you pay attention to guardrails, you see, guardrails give perspective. Yes, they do. If you really think about it, a guardrail is there, it gives you perspective. Why do they put that thing up? Because there's a potential danger there. You see, and those who healed heed the guardrails. If it says slow, then slow down. What? That's wisdom. There are guardrails in the scripture, and they enable us, they enable us to walk the path in confidence instead of fear. They enable us to, to walk the path of life, the Christian life, which is a difficult life and a life of hardship. It enables us to walk it, not in, in a, a cowardly spirit or looking around to see what's going to hit us next, but with hope. Um, and they're found throughout the scriptures. They're found throughout Psalms. We have been primarily in Psalms as we looked at David and his life. I mentioned to you guys a couple of weeks ago that when I, this, this, I'd never mentioned this before in public, to my knowledge, until I did it a few weeks ago here. And what I said was this. When I was 32, for the first time in my life, I read the Bible all the way through. I came across a, a calendar, and by reading four chapters a day uh, and staying with it, you read through the Bible in a year. So I started out when I was 32. And I got through it, and I couldn't believe I got through it. I thought, I'm going to do that next year. And I did it the next year, the next year. Well, I'm now 62. As a result of reading four chapters a day, I read through the Bible 30 times. Now, now I don't say that for me or you, for you. you know. I just say that because it, uh, you know, Deuteronomy 32 says of the word of God, it is not an idle word for you, it is your life. You can't live without it. I have found, so I I read my chapters. I read through the scripture every year. Every once in a while, about every four to six weeks, here's what I do. And when I I read my Bible, I always have a pen, and I got a yellow marker in there by. If I'm on a plane, I got a yellow marker in my briefcase. I got a yellow marker somewhere, okay? So I uh, I got a pen, and I got a marker. And I rarely read a section of scripture without marking it or making some kind of note. Here's what I do about every four, five, six weeks. I, I read my chapters. But I will go through Psalms and I will just sort of uh, scan it. And I have marked certain verses. Why have I marked them? To me, they're guardrails. They are guardrails that give me wisdom. They are guardrails that protect me from danger. They are guardrails that help me to fight off fear. They're, they're just, they're, that's all I can tell you. I, I don't necessarily exegete the entire psalm. There's a verse that comes out. If a verse hits you, um, if you're reading and a verse hits you between the eyes, mark it. Mark it. I mark it and yell. Right, here, I just, here's a random page in my Bible. There are two, I see, I see two marks with yellow. I can go to some other pages. 
There's one on the left in yellow. There's nothing in yellow but blue and black ink. Okay? I want to give you some guardrails tonight. And I want to, as, as, as we close this out, I want to give you some scriptures. Now, I have, I have picked some that are meaningful to me and that I scan over about every four to six weeks. Why do I scan over them? Because I need to be familiar with them. They're like prescriptions. They're guardrails. I could use all kinds of metaphors. But they keep me going on the trail. They give me perspective. They give me wisdom. They give me an, an immediate infusion of reality and of truth in a world of lying, deception, and propaganda. So I'll scan them every four to five, six weeks to refresh myself and to keep them fresh in my mind. Uh, that's what I do. Now, I've picked some, and I'm not going to get through them all tonight. Here's what I would encourage you to do. I would encourage you to get your own set of guardrails and to become familiar with them because they come in handy at times when you are prone to fear. They come in handy when there is a danger of you getting discouraged. They're, they come in, uh, they're very strategic when you are verging on depression because they give immediate reality and perspective. Can I give you some? Let's go to Psalm 31. And again, I, I got a lot more than this. I just pick some. Kind of like a buffet. Couldn't, couldn't, uh, couldn't dab uh, everything on my plate, so I, I picked and choose. Is that it? I, I picked and... Thank you. I, don't, I can't hear what you said, but I appreciate the comment. <laughs> Just go to Psalm 31, all right? Let's, let's check this out. These, these are just, some of them are one sentence. Note Psalm 31, 14, and the first line of 15. But as for me, and I have this, I have this marked in my Bible. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. That helps me. My times are in your hand. Why do I need to remember that? Sometimes I get impatient. Because I want to see something happen, and it hasn't happened yet. And I get impatient. I've been praying about it. Perhaps Mary's been praying about it. I, I believe it's something according to the will of God, but it hasn't occurred yet. And my tendency is to get impatient. And my tendency can be, when I get impatient, to try to manipulate, manipulate things to cause that to happen. And, and, and that is a really, that's not a good thing to do. Uh, God does not need your help. There is a Holy Spirit, and you don't need to be the Junior Holy Spirit. You don't need to put a badge on your shirt that says Junior Holy Spirit. Let Him work. If, if, you, if you are impatient about a situation, what is the antidote to that? You know what, Lord? I don't know why this hasn't come together. I believe it's your will. But my times are in your hand. The timing of your life is in His hand. God is all about timing. We tend to put time frames on God and expect Him to come through, and when He doesn't, we get upset. Or sometimes we find ourselves in, uh, in a jam, uh, out of work. Some of you guys are out of work. You're looking for work. 
uh, you would hope by now you would have a job, but you don't. And so that wells up all kinds of anxiety. I'm not sure how long I can keep this up. I'm not sure. And all this fear and all this anxiety. Uh, he knows that. He knows that. He knows, doesn't he? He could get you a job like that. He could get you 100 offers like that. Why are you in this situation? Because your times are in his hand. This is a time of growth. It's a time you don't want, but it's a time of growth. It's a time of ultra-dependency on God. Usually when we have work, usually when things are going well, we go in, we do our work, we're humming, we're doing all this, we're dealing with life, but the job's there, the money's there, we're thankful for it, but we don't give it a lot of thought, we're just showing up and i got to do this and this, and sometimes it's a burden, but when you don't have it, you wish you had it. When you're unemployed, there are lessons to be learned in unemployment that you don't learn in employment. Are there not? And the fear is that you'll never get a job. Your fear, your money will run out. Your fear is that God will not be faithful and show up and get you through. But what's the antidote? My times are in your hand. Do you see this verse? How it fight, it's a guardrail to fear and anxiety. Let's go to Psalm 36. I'd like to spend an hour on that, but I can't. Psalm 36, verse 17. Here's a guardrail. It's just a one-liner in verse 11 of Psalm 36. Let not the foot of pride come upon me. What is pride? The greatest thing ever written on pride was what C.S. Lewis wrote in his little booklet, Mere Christianity. And he has a chapter in there called The Greatest Sin. The greatest sin is not sexual immorality. The greatest sin is pride. It's what caused Satan to become Satan. It is the desire to be better than anyone else. It's the desire to have more prestige. It's the desire to have more glory. It's the desire to outdo somebody else. That's pretty much what pride is. It's, it's, it's the desire to be number one, looking out for number one, and doing whatever you have to do to be number one. Let not the foot of pride come upon me. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I quote all the time, prayed that every day of his life. Let not the foot of pride come upon me. Pride is subtle. Pride is deceptive. We, those who are proud, they don't see that they're proud. Because the essence of pride is self-blinding. You see pride in other people, you don't see it in yourself. Let not the foot of pride come upon me. You say, what's the antidote to that? So, so, so you pray that. Let not the foot of pride. Don't let me get proud. Don't let me get puffed up. If, if anything good has happened, it's from you, Lord. So what's the antidote to that? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. You take the lower place. Francis Schaeffer once said to, um, he once said that if you're offered two positions and you're not sure before the Lord which one to take, and there, and there are two positions, you're not sure which one to pursue, and, and, and you just can't get any clarity, and you have to make a decision, he said take the lower one. Well, that's contrary to our thinking. He, take the, he said, take the lower position. Don't assume you should have the higher position. If you're not sure, if you were to run into that hypothetically, you can't make a decision, take the lesser of the two. Because if God wants you in the higher of the two, he'll get you there. But don't you presume you should be in that top spot. Boy, that runs counter to uh, American thinking, doesn't it? Humble. Why would he say that? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And at the right time, watch this, he will exalt you. 
Here's the third. Psalm 37.3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Speaking to believers in the covenant God. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. And the New American Standard Version says, and cultivate faithfulness. There's a reason. Guys will ask me oftentimes, what, what translation of the Bible do you use? I use the New American Standard Version. Chuck uses New American Standard. Um, why? It, 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 is, uh, it is very literal. It is so literal, it is sometimes almost wooden. It, it, it doesn't have a great flow to it sometimes. You can pretty much trust that it's, it's true to the original languages. But in the margin of the New American Standard, oftentimes, like where it says, trust the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, and cultivate faithfulness, there's a little number next to cultivate faithfulness. Now I look over in the margin, they're going to give me the rough, hewn, unvarnished translation from the Hebrew. And here's what it says. This is why I have a New American Standard. It says this, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land, watch this, and feed on his faithfulness. I've lived off that verse for weeks before. For weeks. Because there are times in life, and we're in a jam, we're in a fix, we're in a, we're in a very difficult spot. And, and, and we look around and say, man, I don't know how, I mean, and, and, and you know, we're in a lousy economy and all kinds of things. So Lord, you know, I don't know how, I don't know how long I can keep going. No, you don't. No, you don't, do you? So what do you do? You trust in the Lord and you do good. You dwell in the land and you feed on his faithfulness. He's the one who keeps you going. He's the one that sustains you. He's the one who is your provider. You just keep showing up and following him. It's his job to provide. It's it, not that we don't, and don't, don't misinterpret. It's not that we don't go out and work. We don't go out and do our part because we do. You don't sit on your tail all day. Paul said if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. You know, I mean, that's just how it is. But God is our sustainer. God is our provider. Man, I don't know how long I can keep this up. As long as he gives you breath. As long as he sustains you. In him we live and move and breathe and have our existence. That helps me. That helps me. I use that verse all of the time. Because half the time, I don't know what I'm doing. And neither do you. We like to think we do, but we don't. I have threatened for years to rename my ministry in over my head ministries.com. Because that's where I am about half the time. I don't have a clue. I don't. So what do I do? I feed on his faith. I just feed on it. I just graze on it. I just graze on it. What do cows do? They just graze. They just graze. That's all they do. They just graze. They just graze. That's what we, we, we feed, we graze on, on whose faithfulness? His. Right, let me give you another one. Look at uh, Psalm 39, verse 4. Boy, there's some wisdom here. This isn't just one verse, it's several. But here's some wisdom. You know, guys, you should think often about dying. 
you should think often about death. Most people do not, the last thing they want to do is think about dying. It is a good thing to ponder the fact that you will die. Most people are trying to escape any thought. They're trying to escape any um, quietness or seclusion that would make them have to deal with the deeper issues of life. That's not a wise thing to do. Watch this. Lord, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. And that'll build your self-esteem. We're all about self-esteem. Let's esteem God. He's the creator. He made us. Are we valuable? Yeah, because we're made in his image. But we're not great. He's great. Every time I see some guy catch a touchdown pass and, and do a human sacrifice or whatever he does in the end zone, what, what, I mean, they just keep coming up with stuff. It's just out of control. I mean, the sucker dropped the last five passes. And this one actually went through his hands and lodged in his face mask. And that's the only reason he scored. And then he starts strutting around like he did something significant. He caught a ball. A ball. He caught a ball. I've seen two-year-olds catch a ball. In fact, with more frequency than you catch balls. Could he have done that if the quarterback did not have enough time to throw the ball? No. See, it's a team game. This gives perspective, doesn't it, to what we think are such great accomplishments? Uh, Lord, you've made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches, does not know who will gather them. Isn't that something? You work and work and work. You amass riches. You don't even know who's going to get them. Now look at verse 7. Look at the perspective. And now, O oh Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Yeah, in you. There's a great barrier to overwork. There's a great barrier to the love of money and the love of things and the love of possessions. And by the way, if you love them too much, God will take them away from you. Because the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, look at Psalm 40, verse 4. These are just little nuggets. They're just little nuggets. They're just little guardrails. All that says, 44 of Psalm, how blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust, not his Ira, not the government, not his political party, not his candidate. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust. Period. That's where your trust is. Not that the economy will do this or this is going to work out or this. What if it all goes down? What are you going to do? How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust. Doesn't matter what comes. His eye is on those who fear him, on those who wait for his loving kindness. Where's your hope? Where's your trust? 
That's a good guardrail because our hearts are prone to wander, aren't they? We tend to trust in other things. He wants us trusting in him. Just a guardrail. You read it? You ponder it? Okay, let me give you another one. 46.1 of Psalm. We've talked about this one before. God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in trouble. That's a great verse to know because we're often in trouble. Uh, Job says that man is born to trouble. We are often in trouble. We're often in difficulty. We are oftentimes in situations where we are in a very precarious place. If certain things don't happen, we're going down. We need, we need God to come through for us. We're desperate. And if he doesn't come through, we're finished. And, and inevitably, these things are out of our control. So, Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in trouble. Once again, I refer you to the margin of the New American Standard, which says, God is our refuge and strength. Watch this. He is abundantly available for help in tight places. That's wonderful. He's just not available. Are you in a tight place? He's just not available. He is abundantly available. He knows your tight place. He knows all the issues. He knows all kinds of things about your tight place you know nothing about. But see, he's your trust. He's your savior. He's your deliverer. He's your, he's your redeemer. I tell you, I've lived off that verse before for weeks. Been in an extremely tight place. Lord, if you don't come through. How many of you guys have ever been in an exceptionally tight place and if God didn't come through for you, you were finished, and he came through. I'd like to see your hand. I, I, have an ex, I have another question. How many of you guys have seen God do that more than once? I have a question. How many of you guys have seen God do that as you look back over your life, let's say in double digits, at least ten times? All right, now here's my next question. If he's done it for you at least ten times, why wouldn't he do it for you the next time? He will. He will. Because he says he will. He says that he is abundantly available for help in tight places. That's who he is. That helps me. I'm not alone. And he, and, and he controls every human heart. Did you know that? That helps me so much. Because, oh, you know, what if this guy, I need this guy to sign off on this, and this guy, I don't know they're going to sign off, that guy's going to go. Your destiny is not in that guy's hands, it's in God's hands. So often we look at people and we think they're in charge. They're not in charge, God's in charge. If you'd hold my calls, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> Proverbs 21.1, Proverbs 21.1, here's one to memorize. I, I, I ponder this all the time. This calms me down. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he wishes. I bet you I quote myself that to myself at least 10 times a week. The king's heart, any powerful person's heart, any, anybody you think is powerful and has a position of prominence and authority and power, know this. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he wishes. 
Your life is not dependent on what they do. It's dependent on Almighty God. He's pulling the strings. Yes, he is. Am I boring you guys? I mean, what are you going to say? Yes? You can't say that. We'll throw you out of the church. We'll excommunicate you. No, actually, you could say it. Uh, so he's abundantly, he's abundantly available for help in tight places, is he not? All right, then look at 46.10. Same psalm, look at verse 10. If he's abundantly available for help in tight places, then look at 10. Cease striving and know that I am God. Literally, once again in the margin, you know what it says? Let go. Relax. Eat a cheeseburger. It's not in the text. Let go, relax. Hey, man, chill out and know that I am God. I've got your back. I've got your future. I've got your flank. I've got your enemies. I've got those in authority. I I got you. I got you. You're good. Just, just. Chill. Because he does. Yeah, but what if he doesn't? Well, you're, well, you're toast. But, but he does. He does. Psalm 48, 14. Yeah, but I got some big decisions coming up. I, I mean, I mean this, is, this is huge. I mean, I really, I need some wisdom. I need to make, I can't make, I can't get this wrong. Not at my place in life. I can't get this decision wrong. Well, look at uh, 4814. For such is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us until death. He's got us covered on every front, doesn't he? Whatever life can throw at me. Oh, man, what if I make the wrong move? What if I make the wrong decision? What if I do this wrong? What if I, hey, 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 calm down, man. He's got you. He's your father. Now, at some point, I'll go to Psalm 56, 9, but I'll go ahead and give it to you now. Psalm 56, 9. This I know that God is for me. If he's for you, he'll guide you until death. If he's for you because you're in Christ, because you're in Christ, if he's for you, he'll guide you until death. If he's for you because you're in Christ, um, he is abundantly available for help in tight places. You're his kid. He knows where you are. He knows what's going on. Isn't this good? Gosh. This is why I keep reading this stuff. But you know what this does? This keeps me sane. This keeps me sane. This helps me not to uh, panic. This helps me not to worry about the future or the future of the country or the future of my kids or my grandkids who don't even exist yet. Well, Rachel's got one in the oven, actually. So he does exist. Better be a he. That's a little, little sexist joke. If it's a little girl, if it's a little boy, they have a future. I'm concerned for their future. God's much more concerned than I am. By the way, that little baby inside of my daughter, God has a roadmap already planned. In thy book, they were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. 
This helps me. This, this helps me. This is true. Psalm 50, verse 19. This is what C.H. Spurgeon called the uh, uh, shoot. Who is the uh, uh, Robinson Crusoe? Thank you. You knew where I was going. This is the Robinson Crusoe psalm. Because in that story that Daniel Defoe wrote, this young man whose father is a godly man, uh, Robinson Crusoe, will not listen to his father. And then he lives a life of rebellion. And God finally hymns him in on this island all by himself. And Robinson Crusoe remembers this verse being instructed in his Christian home as they would read the word of God, which says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. I like that. Psalm 50, verse 15. You guys are looking around like I gave you the wrong verse. I'm sorry. Yeah, don't take everything I say literally. <laughs> a few weeks ago, I was going on and on about some verse, and I had the wrong chapter. Oh, that was a bruised read. I, I said Isaiah 41 about 19 times, and it was Isaiah 42. But it's good for you. It makes you look in the scriptures to see where is this guy lost. This is Psalm 50, verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. You ever been there? Yeah? Some of you are there now. All right, call on me in the day of trouble. This is what he says to us. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will rescue you. Oh, and then you will honor me. Well, yeah, he didn't, well, he didn't rescue me yet. Well, well are you, you're breathing. You're here. Yeah, but I haven't been delivered yet. It's not time yet. God's all about timing. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He's all about time. We're like farmers that put the seed in the ground and expect, and expect eight feet of corn the next morning. God is all about timing, and he'll sustain you until the time is right, and he'll deliver you at the right time. I'm actually doing pretty well on my list with 26 seconds to go. I only have 26 more bullet points here, but we'll get a few. I already did Psalm 56, 9. Uh, let's go to Psalm 57. I have to tell you guys, Psalm 57, 2, and 3 is one of the greatest verses in all of the Bible. John Flavel, the Puritan pastor of Dartmouth, England, wrote an entire book called The Mystery of Providence back in the 1600s. He wrote a book called The Mystery of Providence off of this verse. And he referred to some other verses. This is from the introduction. It's one of the cave psalms when David was hiding from Saul. And he's surrounded by soldiers and he's on the most wanted list. He's number one. Saul is going to kill David if it's the last thing he ever does. He is burrowed into some little cave, into some little crevice. And he's surrounded by soldiers and here's what David says, I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. 
Now, that's what Jesus does. If you look at Ephesians 2.8, it says this, For by grace you have been saved by faith. You go down to Dallas Seminary, you take a Greek course, they'll teach you Greek grammar, they'll tell you that that phrase, for by grace you have been saved, is a participle, the particular kind of participle, means this, for by grace you have been saved with continuing results. You know what that means? You say, well, yeah, I was saved in 1979. Great. That's not the only time you've been saved. That's when you were given eternal life, when you heard the gospel and you responded to Christ. But you see, this is why John Newton kept saying all of his life, I am a great sinner, but Jesus is a great Savior because what does he do? He just keeps on saving us. He just, keeps, he just keeps doing it. It's what he does. He's a great savior. Yeah, I know he saved you back when you heard the gospel. But, but he, he keeps saving us since then. Because he, he, he saves us with continuing results. What does this say? I will cry to God most... Think of where this guy is. He is surrounded by enemies. He... he he has a future. He's been anointed to be the king. But he is threatened. His life could be, could be, he could be taken out in an instant with one swing of the sword. He could be history. He could be done. And in the midst of all this great threat and pressure and stress and, and imminent death before him, what does he say? I will cry to God most high. To God who accomplishes all things for me, he will send from heaven and save me. God has a plan for your life. Nothing can thwart it. Nothing can thwart it. Guys, uh, th these are great truths. You're not going um, to read a lot of this on internet uh, news sites. You're not going to hear a lot of this on talk radio. Are you? So what we have to do is we've got to make an effort to get into the scriptures so the scriptures can get into us. And when the scriptures get into us, I've got guardrails that help me to fight off fear that most people have, if not all people, and give me perspective and give me hope and give me wisdom and give me a calm spirit and a steadiness when everything around me is falling apart. And it all begins, it all begins with an understanding of the greatness of God and what he has promised to do for those who name the name of Christ. We are safe and we are secure. We have a future and we have a hope. I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. Um, God accomplishes all things for you. And, and remind yourself of this. Nobody can get in his way. Nobody can thwart him. Nobody can stop it. We got to go to Daniel and then I'm done. Just swing over to Daniel and let's just get a perspective to top this off. 
Do you remember old King Nebuchadnezzar who thought he was in charge? He had the greatest kingdom on the face of the earth. He, uh, oh, you know what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar? There was a dream that he had. He had several dreams, but there was one dream that he had. He told it to Daniel, and when he told the dream to Daniel, Daniel got concerned. And he says, go ahead, Daniel, tell me the dream. But he says, uh, O king, live forever, which is what you say to those guys. Uh, this dream is about you. And here's what the dream means. That if you don't acknowledge that I am the sovereign God of the entire universe, if you don't acknowledge that I am great, I'm going to give you the mind of an animal, and you're going to graze in the pasture for seven years. Did Nebuchadnezzar listen? No, because the foot of pride came upon him. And then one day, if you look in Daniel 4, verse 28, all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself has built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven, saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. He was given the mind of an animal. Verse 32, you'll be driven away from mankind. Your dwelling place will be with the beast of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle. Seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. It was fulfilled in verse 33, verse 34. At the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my reason returned to me. God gives men the ability to think and reason. And I blessed, watch this now. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Now watch this. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. He's not talking about himself, he's talking about God. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does according to his will in the host of the heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hands or say to him, what have you done? That's our God. So are you going to court this week and you're worried about the outcome of what that judge is going to decide? The judge is not deciding. God is deciding. The judge is a human instrument, but he will do what God tells him to do. Isn't that what that says? What does Proverbs 21 say? The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he wishes. You say, it may not go the way I want. It may not go the way you want, but his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. As high as the heavens, guys, it comes down to trust. The Lord is good. Can I ask you something? Is there any injustice with God? Romans 9 says no. Our job is to trust and our job is to keep perspective that his powerful hand is in control of my life. And even when evil comes, what was it Joseph said to his brothers? You intended it for evil, but God intended it for what? For good in order to bring about this present result. That's it. But you can live off it. It's the greatest truths in the world. Let's pray. Thank you, Father.
we're on this path, we're on this road. We have had our ups and downs, but through it all, you are in charge. You are the sovereign God. You have our eye upon you have your eye upon us. Even when evil occurs in our lives and you choose not to intervene, we we are uh, we're stunned by that. We don't get it. We begin to question you. But you always have a purpose we cannot see. And you have promised in Romans 8.28 that you, you take all things and you work them for good, ultimately in the life of the believer. I pray that tonight you'll help us to calm ourselves. You'll help us to fight off anxiety. You'll help us to fight off fear simply because of who you are and because you are our Father. This is the message of the Bible. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come back and receive you unto myself. And if he indeed is God, and he is, and he's gone to prepare a place for us, then what that simply means is that he'll take care of us every day of our lives until we get to heaven. That helps us. So we give honor to your name tonight. And we pray these things in the name that is above every name ever uttered. In the name of Jesus. Amen.